Morning, everyone. Morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to our service this morning. And uh, very welcome if you're watching online as well to join us. Um, I just first of all, I'd like to congratulate everyone who worked so hard in both the planning and the running uh, of a wonderful Queen's Jubilee party on Friday. It was a lot of work, which I think by the number of people who came and by the amount of fun and the number of contacts that we made, uh, it was a very successful and enjoyable afternoon. So thanks indeed also to all those who came to support the event. Um, there are little bookmarks. Um, I think each of you were getting one as you came in, but if you haven't received one of these, if you make sure you get one, a wee memento uh, of the Queen's Jubilee. It's just They're just at the door as you go out. Um, and also just want to thank the, the council as well for uh, the grant that they give us and um, we really appreciate that and it, it helped cover some of the expenses of uh, Friday. Uh, could I just uh, say also anybody that's been involved in buying things for last Friday, uh, if you have the invoices and so forth, if you could let Isabel have those uh, as soon as possible so she can get everything uh, balanced out. Um, just another wee announcement, if anyone is able to help with Sunday Club over the summer months of July and August, please contact Michael Brackenridge. And uh, there's a couple more announcements here. Uh, on your announcement sheet, on your order of service, uh, uh, down, we need to make a wee correction. It says next Sunday, the 12th of June, we'll have our communion service. Uh, it's actually, it actually should be the 19th of June. So it's the 19th of June that our communion service will be held on. Okay. Um, Men's Fellowship, which is scheduled for Saturday, the 11th of June at 8 a.m. in the Salty Dog Restaurant. And uh, the speaker will be Robert Wiseman who was a, is a retired minister who converted to Christianity from the Jewish faith. So that should be very interesting to hear. Uh, PowerPoint, uh, we're looking for someone who would be willing to be trained to be able to do the PowerPoint, uh, to give Chris Key a day off when he needs a day off, uh, or uh, for other uh, emergencies. Um, so if you'd be interested, please, please say to Tom Shaw or myself, um, and just to kind of encourage you also, just to remind you, there's a Zoom prayer meeting uh, each Friday morning at 11 a.m. Everyone is very welcome to attend those. And you can see on the order of service, you'll find out the joining details for those. Um, I think that's all the announcements apart from, uh, I think Terry wants to come up and say a few words. Oh, there he is. <laughs> you know I'm not a traditional Presbyterian <laughs> and I just felt the Holy Spirit was saying to me on the way up today in the car that I should speak I was here on Friday and I know Marcus thanked everybody and of course that's needed but I was just really really impressed by the provision and the day that we had on Friday and I just felt it was important that an ordinary member of the congregation namely me, would say thank you to Mark and to the leadership. I don't just mean in a formal way, I just mean in a wholehearted way, because I was really impressed. I've started working with people who are refugees. There was Chinese here, there was Egyptians, there was Africans. 
There was even people came from Ward Park <laughs> to hear. Now, if we can manage that over the council, the Lord must be doing something. So I just think the leadership and those intended from the ordinary foot soldiers need a really big thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, it, it just shows, you know, a team. It's about a team, not one man. It's about a team and what we can do and how we can affect the community. And I think one of the things that we really want to get across to the community is that we're not a church that's all about us. We're not a church that's all about dealing with our, what our needs. We're a church that wants to give and to sacrifice for the sake of those around us as well in the community. So, I just, this morning's service is, uh, is about the gospel, basically. It's a gospel-centered theme, the whole service today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, um, verses 22 to 24, Paul writes, For Jews request a sign, Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Let's just pray. Father, that's what we're here for, Lord Jesus. We're here for you. We're here to thank you. We're here to worship you. We're here, Lord, to thank you for what you've done for us. And we're here to have, be fired up, Lord, to be, have that desire to go out and spread the good news of what you have done, of your love and your sacrifice we want to share that with others, Lord, and not just in what we say, but in what we do. Um, and we just pray, God, that this morning that you would be glorified. We thank you, Lord, that you were there on Friday. We thank you, Lord, that you were right in the center. And Father, we, we thank you for Friday. Uh, but we pray, God, that you might show us the next step, the follow-on from that, that we might do your will, and we might listen to what you have to do us to do, to reach those, Lord, uh, in all sorts of situations in our community. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to stand and, and worship God with, oh, praise the name.
I'd like to read from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. I remember uh, Charles Price once saying that to be a godly church, we need to be a global church because God's heart is global. And uh, he calls us to be witnesses in our own towns, but also calls us to be witnesses overseas as well. So, and, uh, and it's all about being available for him and uh, that includes every age uh, because your neighbor is available to you 
uh, your friends are available to you, no matter what age you are, uh, to be a witness um, for Christ. So let me read this. Isaiah, in chapter 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And then one of the serfs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And the altar points to the cross, which was the altar in the New Testament. With it, he, with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, sent me. Here am I, sent me. So I want to talk to boys and girls, mums and dads as well this morning about a lady called Amy Carmichael. Uh, We were looking at Hudson Taylor, I think a couple of weeks ago, going to look at, at Amy Carmichael. Now, Amy Carmichael, she was born down the road, six miles down the road in Malisle. And her mother and her father, they owned a flour mill. So they were well off back in 1867. Very well off uh, at that time. Now, anybody ever wanted to be a bit different from what they looked like now? I'm conscious of a big nose. I've been told my dad had a big nose and my granddad had a big nose. You know, so I probably would want a smaller nose. But Amy Carmichael, she used to pray for blue eyes. She used to pray in the evening for blue eyes. Let's just see. Hold on, sorry. She, she, she had brown eyes, but she wanted blue eyes. And she used to pray, God, give me blue eyes. And uh, one day they were coming home from church, her and her mother and her brother, and they were coming home from church, and there was an old beggar lady, and she was very poor and very burdened down, and her clothes were shabby, and Amy and her brother went over to help them, and to help this old lady, and as they helped, she looked at the richer people coming out of church, and she felt ashamed of, of because she wanted to help this old lady looking after her. And she thought, that is wrong of me to feel embarrassed and ashamed. And she asked God's forgiveness for that. But then another, on another occasion, they were in a restaurant and there, were some wee, there was a little poor girl and she was, had her nose up against the window looking in at the food that they were having. And Amy thought, whenever I grow up, I'm going to give money away to the poor. And you know what she started... Her father started to get ill because his business was going down. And at the 18 years of age, she lost her father. He died. And the money stopped coming into the house. The business had died. So things were started to get very, very difficult. And she had to look after her six brothers and sisters that were younger. And she had to look after them for 10 years 
But this is how God had a plan, a plan for our brown eyes, a plan for the experience of looking after the children. But what happened, her heart went out to those who were poor. She went with her pastor and gave out tracts and helped people in the poorer communities. And as she went down there, her heart went out to them. So she decided to buy a little flat down in the, in, in the heartland of this neighborhood. She used to sleep in, in bug-infested uh, mattresses with the people around her. And you know what you call the people? They were nicknamed shawlies because they couldn't afford a hat for the cold winters. So they wore shawls. That's all they could afford. They were called shawlies. So that was Amy's first outreach was to these shawlies. And she helped to feed them and led them to Christ. And they wanted a church, but they couldn't afford the church. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And an anonymous gift of 500 pounds came in for a church and they were able to build a church. Now, Amy started then to feel very much that God was calling her overseas. Um, and she, she, hadn't, she hadn't a good health. She wanted to go to China, and the China Inland Mission turned her down because of her bad health. She had seriously bad neuralgia. And uh, she then went to Japan for about two years. Her health got so bad she had to come home. So then she felt God was really putting it on her heart to go to India. And you can see just where India is on the world map. And she was in the south of India. And she traveled out there. And as soon as she arrived, she started to, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with, with women to start with. And one day there was this little girl called Prina. And she was out getting water she lived in the temple. And let me tell you a story about the temple. The temple, it, it, it was a bad place. It was a really bad place. Now, people out in India at that time, they felt that girls weren't as good as boys. And often parents would sell their, children, their, their girls to this temple um, to get money, for one thing. But more than that, they felt that if they dedicated their, their girls to the, to the gods in the temple, that they'd find favor with the gods. So this wee girl, Prina, was out from the temple, and she was getting water, and she was just about to bring it back to the temple when she heard Amy Carmichael share with these women, do you know what Amy was saying? Women are as good as men. In God's sight, they're all equal. And... Prina heard this, and she remembered this, and she rushed back to the temple, and she waited, and she waited till there was an opportunity for her to slip out and escape from the temple, which she did, and she ran, and she went and found Amy Carmichael. She went and found her and uh, ran into her arms, and Amy could have been put in prison for accepting this little girl into her home. Basically, in the temple, children were made to do things that children would never, ever be made to do. And it was a terrible place, and Amy just couldn't send her back again. And you know what? Over the years, Amy started to rescue hundreds 
of children. It's estimated there could be well have been about a thousand children came through her house in the 55 years that he was, she was out there. And everything started to go into place then. I'm glad I didn't have blue eyes, but I had brown eyes. Because everybody here in India has got brown eyes. She started to dress like the Indians and was more accepted. And then she started to think, you know what? Those 10 years of looking after my wee brothers and sisters, that's what God has trained me in. And she's looked after many, many children. That's a recent photograph. Her mission uh, still goes on today. So that, it's not bad, you know, for a wee woman from Malaya. Sure, it's not. I, I, and the thing, that, the thing that encourages me is that this woman was very ill. She was really ill. She spent about the last 10 years of her ministry in bed, guiding people and giving advice. But there her heart was, here am I, Lord, sent me. I don't have an awful lot. I'm a bit like that wee boy with the two lo- five loaves and two fish. I don't have an awful lot to offer God, but what I have, I give to you. Here am I, send me. So that's, uh, that's the story of Amy Carmichael. And uh, now next week, Tom Shaw is going to be explaining about what's going on with the wee boys and girls in Peru. So looking forward to that. And uh, he's going to have some slides and so forth just to show you what's going on. So isn't God good? And God calls us to be a witness to people here, but to go global as well and to be interested in those overseas. Uh, So let's just pray a wee moment. Father, we just thank you, Lord, because it is a, a genuine privilege to be able to take the greatest message uh, that the world has ever heard, to bring your love, Lord Jesus, to people who feel isolated, people who feel rejected, people who feel there's no meaning in their lives, people who feel that life is a drudgery. Thank you, Lord, that we can come and we can say, listen, life is tough. We know life can be very difficult. But Lord, you're there in the boat, in the storm with us. And we thank you for that. Amen. And the next song, we're just going to listen to it because I found it on the internet. I'd never heard of it before. And I just thought it was so, so appropriate. And uh, I'll just tell you the name of it in a minute. Uh, For the Cause. And it's uh, Keith and Christine Getty, particularly for children. But it, it, it speaks to all of us.
So uh, the Bible class uh, could go out at uh, Sunday school, uh, go out and uh, I think it's this way you go, <laughs> or that way, I'm not sure. You can go out either door and uh, somebody will guide you. If you're a visitor here, somebody will guide you as to where to go. And the creche is also available and uh, you'll be able to watch the service uh, in the creche. Just like to, I'd like to pray. Um, I'm not, I'm not one that's into reading prayers really, but I found this prayer during the week, and I thought this is a beautiful prayer by Scotty Smith, and uh, I just want to share it with you now. Let's join in it. It's based upon Psalm 34, verse 18: "The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit." Jesus, I'm increasingly grateful for all the reasons the Father sent you into the world. When I look into the mirror of the Word, I'm thankful that you came to set me free from my imprisonment to sin and death and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In the gospel, I hear you singing these words over me. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I have no righteousness apart from yours, Lord Jesus. And when I look at places like Haiti and Calcutta and Darfur, I'm so thankful that you came to preach good news to the poor. Not just good news concerning spiritual poverty, but also the good news of a kingdom that provides food for the hungry, clean water for the thirsty, shelter for the homeless, advocacy for the marginalized, family for the orphan. And when I look at systemic evil in the world, human trafficking, the idolatry of greed, an ideology of terror, the pornographic industry, to name a few. I'm so thankful that you've also come to proclaim the day of vengeance of our God. No one is a greater champion of justice than you, Lord Jesus. One day, all the pillaging weeds of unrighteousness will be replaced with mighty oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. To lay, Lord Jesus, this very morning, I'm especially thankful that you're close to the brokenhearted and that you save those who are crushed in spirit. Sometimes like life feels like too much, Jesus. Some stories and moments make me wonder, why, O oh Lord, and how long, O oh Lord? Thank you for not despising my weakness and weariness. I'm most thankful, Lord Jesus, that you're very much with our friends whose wails and wounds you perfectly understand. No one was broken in heart and body like you. No one was crushed in spirit like you. And you did it all for us. In the mystery and in the moment, I praise you that you comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve. Oh, for the day when we will forever be done with the spirit of despair and will only wear the garment of praise. 
In your kind-hearted, ever-present name, I pray. Amen. So we're going to stand together and worship the Lord by singing uh, an older hymn, but yet a very beautiful hymn, And Can It Be That I Should Gain.
like to read from Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 to 9. Uh, just keeping in mind that Paul is in prison in Rome, and he's writing to the church at Philippi, trying to encourage them. And, uh, and in this case, he tries to warn them as well. But Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to speak this morning, uh, look at five things very, very briefly. First of all, Paul's caution. Secondly, Paul's curriculum vitae. Thirdly, Paul's confidence. Fourthly, Paul's conclusion. And fifthly, Paul's challenge. But first of all, Paul's caution. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. In chapter 3, verse 2, Paul's angry, and you don't often hear him angry and annoyed, but he is angry and annoyed for very, very good reason at a particular group of people, and they're called Judaizers. Uh, if you follow Paul's tracks in the book of Acts, you'll find that as he goes to a village or to a town and he preaches the gospel to them, in his wake come these Judaizers. And they claim to be Jews who trust in Jesus Christ, but they tell people, don't listen to Paul. Don't listen to Paul. It's okay to trust in Christ. Yes, that's or by all means, trust in Christ, but to attain salvation, you must also obey every Levitical law in the Old Testament, and that includes circumcision. You must be circumcised. Um, and so Paul, Paul is very angry, and, and he cautions the church at Philippi, because the, this false gospel that these other guys are spreading, it involves me, it involves you doing the best that you can, and I know my own sinful heart, and I know I will fail, and so it's, it's a false gospel. It is no gospel at all. They're saying, trust Jesus Christ plus other things, and Paul is very, very angry. Watch out for those dogs, he says. Watch out for those evildoers. Watch out for those mutilators of the flesh. You know, today in the 21st century, we don't have Judaizers, but we do have similar false teaching, which goes throughout our cultures uh, and, and, and in some of our churches as well. Uh, trust Christ plus. You know, many misunderstand what it means to trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They choose Christianity. That's their chosen religion. They connect to a church. 
thinking that that makes them a Christian. And then they try to live a good life, hoping the good acts will, will weigh, out, weigh out more than the bad acts, hoping that they'll be able somehow to slip into heaven. Trust Christ plus. But for Paul, the gospel is trust Christ full stop. Trust Christ full stop. So these, these Judaizers, they come with a pride and a patronizing tone as they speak to these non-Jews that Paul is already witness to. Because of their background, they feel we know better than you. In fact, we even know better than Paul. Um, sorry, I've missed a slide. There we go. Um, so at this point, Paul says, listen, um, I'm going to pull out my curriculum vitae. I'm going to pull out my CV and, and listen to how, 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 who do I have confidence in? What is my confidence in? Surely if, I have, if you're saying that you have confidence in what you have achieved, in what you've done, surely I have more confidence than you, more, more reason than you to boast. And he writes in verse 4, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the, in the flesh, in other words, if, if, if you think that you've got more achievements, you've achieved more than me, he says, I have more. I did everything by the rule book. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a full-blooded Israelite. I come from the tribe of Benjamin, one of those 12 famous tribes. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a full-bodied Jew, full-blooded Jew. In regard to the law, I'm a Pharisee. Now, back in Paul's day, um, well, today, we have, we, lots of our kids want to be professional footballers. That's their dream. That's their hope. Back in biblical days, many of the young lads wanted to be Pharisees because Pharisees were seen as like superheroes, people that would, at any cost, would try and protect the law of God. And Paul was one of those young lads, and we're told that he was trained up in the law and trained, he tells us later, that he was trained under a man called Gamaliel, who was renowned for teaching the law, a tremendous teacher in the law. And so Paul says, in regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, I was persecuting the church. How more zealous can you get? I was throwing people into prison, protecting the law of God, and I was persecuting the Christians or anybody else that seemed to be against what Jewish, Jewish law was teaching. And as for righteousness based on the law, he says, I was faultless. So you, you're, you Judaizers, you're coming along and you're saying, listen, we know better than you non-Jews. We know better even than Paul. Trust in Christ, but you have to trust in other things. Christ plus. And Paul is saying, listen, I have got a lot to boast about. I, I, I have a lot to say. Listen, I, I've, I've achieved an awful lot in my life. I'm a full-blooded Jew. I'm a full-blooded Hebrew. I'm a full-blooded Israelite. I've had training since I was so high in the Pharisaical laws and in the laws of God. And uh, so Paul is the kind of guy you'd want to have in your synagogue, you know, if you were a Jew. But where is Paul's confidence placed? Where's Paul's confidence placed? Well, after his encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, this is where it blows his heart right open. After his encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, he begins to realize that sin in our lives is not easily tamed by a matter of keeping rules and regulations. 
He realizes that sin goes much deeper. He realizes that it buries itself deep into man's heart and into man's very soul. It, t- it taints every part of man's being. And it's, it's an animal which cannot be tamed by the keeping of rules or regulations, but only by God himself. A relationship with God, Paul realizes, he recognizes this is man's only hope of salvation is a relationship with God. Not a relationship with God plus a relationship with God full stop through Christ. I want to ask you a question this morning. It's not a a trick question. You know, when you ask God for forgiveness, when you come and ask for his forgiveness, is it on the basis of his justice? Or is it on the basis of his mercy? I think many of us would probably answer, it's on the basis of his mercy. But with great respect, I have to tell you, it's, it's not on the basis of his mercy. If you could receive salvation merely by go, calling for, out for God's mercy, then Christ never had to die. We ask forgiveness on the basis of God's justice. Let me try to explain it like this. Let's imagine I have received a phone call that a member of the congregation um, is seriously ill in intensive care. I jump into the car, I put my foot to the floor, and I head to the hospital, and on the way, I'm cutting corners a bit, maybe go through a red light, going too fast, and the next thing, there's a siren behind me, and the police catch me, and they pull me in and do me for dangerous driving. Well, then, I have to go to court, and eventually I'm brought before the judge, and uh, the judge can do one of two things. He could say, right, Mark, you have broken the law, and therefore I must punish you according to the law, according to the demands of the law. I fine you 500 pounds. That's justice. Or you could say, I understand that on that particular day you were driving too fast, you were taking too many chances, but I understand that you were trying to get to intensive care. So taking that into consideration, I'm going to let you off with a warning. Don't do it again. That's mercy. That's mercy. The judge can only do one or the other. He can't do both. He can either show justice or mercy. He can't do both because justice and mercy are contradictory. Justice is about getting what you deserve. Mercy is about receiving what you don't deserve. So they're contradictory. Justice and mercy, they're irreconcilable. But if Billy Heinemann, say, for example, comes into the courtroom and says, Your Honor, I understand that Mark's a bit reckless. <laughs> I understand that he's broke the law. But I want to pay his fine of 500 pounds. This isn't a warning, by the way. I'm not, I'm not preempting anything here. But if Billy comes in and says, Right, I'll pay his fine of 500 pounds. In the records of that courtroom, as far as the legal system is concerned, justice has been done. The price has been paid in full. Please notice that justice and mercy can only be reconciled 
by a third party. In this case, the third party is Billy Hindman, who comes and pays the £500 in full. Well, in the, uh, when Jesus is hanging there on the cross, and he cries out just before he dies, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, he's feeling the experience, the consequence of sin. Sin alienates us from God, and that's what he's experiencing when he's on the cross. He's crying, and he's, he's in awful pain, and God, his Father, has turned his back on him. That's the consequence of sin. It's alienation from God. But then before he, 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 he passes away, before he dies, he takes his last breath and tries to muster all the strength he can from his lungs, and he cries out, it is finished. In other words, paid in full. And Christ is the third party. And because the third party has come and played it in full, justice of God and the mercy of God can be reconciled. God can now show mercy without his justice being compromised in any way. And as Christ hangs and says, paid in full, it is finished. Um, because it's paid in full, God the Father is obliged obliged to forgive us. He wants to forgive us, but his justice won't let him forgive us until the third party has paid the price and he's able to show us mercy. I find that very reassuring because I can come to God and ask him to forgive my sin today. Please forgive me, Lord. I'm sorry I did the same sin two days ago and two days before that, two days before that. And in my mind, I can start to wonder, can God really forgive me all those times? But it's not a matter of just calling out for his mercy on the basis of his mercy. It's on the basis of his justice that as Christ has died as the third party, has paid for every rotten sin in my life, has paid for all the sins that I'm going to commit as well, it's been paid in full, and because it's been paid in full, God the Father is obliged, as the judge, to forgive me. And so Paul begins to realize one life-changing, and it is life-changing, one life-changing truth that he begins to realize is this. Salvation has nothing to do with what I've done. It's not about what I have achieved in life, it's about him, what he has done. My confidence isn't in me anymore. It's in him. But on to then Paul's conclusion. Paul writes then, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, those things I've just listed on my CV, which which I was very proud of, I'm counting them as loss. You know, Paul's life prior to following Christ, reasonably simple, reasonably easy lifestyle. As a Pharisee, he had a good salary, better than most coming in. He was respected and esteemed by everyone he met, Pharisees, wow, superheroes. 
But after putting his faith in Jesus Christ, it all comes tumbling down. His wages stop. His family are ashamed of him. His friends turn their backs on him. Instead of being respected, he's scorned. Instead of being the, uh, the persecutor, he's become the persecuted. Instead of spending a lot of time in that beautiful Solomon's temple, instead of spending time there, he's spending many a night in a sticky, cold cell uh, because of his faith. But he writes, whatever were gains to me, I now consider for the loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, I've let go of all those things in order to follow Christ. All those things I took pride in, all of my achievements that I used to boast about. He says, but I give them up. They're not important to me anymore. But he goes on to clarify that he doesn't regret following Christ. Quite the contrary. In fact, he points out that in exchange for those things, he says, I've come into a wealth which the world does not recognize. I've come into a a wealth, he talks about, he says, something of surpassing worth, far more valuable, knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So previously with Paul, it was all about rules and regulations. And now it's all about relationship with Christ. He says, Jesus, my Lord, he's my Lord, personal relationship. And all those other things I'm happy to give insignificance to. You know, those things which previously thrilled me, things which I live for, he writes, I consider them rubbish or garbage that I may gain Christ. You know, I I don't think Paul is saying that his past was unimportant. Because our past is what molds us and shapes us. Um, With Paul's grasp of the Old Testament scriptures, how we've been blessed by that, by his training under the likes of Gamaliel, his training in the Old Testament, it shines a light into the New Testament times for us. He's been a blessing. You know, generation after generation have been encouraged and directed and inspired because of Paul's back knowledge of the Old Testament, shining it in on the new. So I don't think he uh, regrets his past, but it's in comparison to what he's found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, He's saying, it's rubbish in comparison to what I have with Christ. Great, my past, I've had a great time, but thank God I found Christ because he surpasses all that I've achieved so far. You know, he's saying, in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ, all of his own achievements no longer count It's Christ and Christ alone who brings salvation, no action of man. It's Christ who the light should be shining upon. I remember when the World Cup came to South Africa, it was to be a a major, was a major sporting event, but it was to be the the brightest and most colourful sporting event that had ever come to South Africa. And Nelson Mandela was looking forward to it so much, But then his 13-year-old granddaughter was killed in a car accident the night before the grand opening and suddenly plunged into grief. For him, the importance of the World Cup faded into significance. 
sorry, faded into insignificance. Paul realizes that his past, his, the wonderful past as it was to live the life of a Pharisee and gain such knowledge about the law of God, yet what's important now is Christ. Christ. And that's why it says in Corinthians, we read at the beginning, I preach Christ and him crucified. And the Jews, they find it hard to grasp that a Messiah would be crucified. No. And the Greeks find it really hard because they like to sit around and talk about wisdom and knowledge. They like to think that they're really smart. It's foolishness to them that the Son of God would come and die on a crucified on a criminal's cross. But he says, but for you and I who are called by God, you and I that God has moved in their hearts, Christ crucified and him alone, the power of God on the salvation. Christ is the one who changes lives. No law can ever do that. Paul's actions after meeting Christ, they echo the words of John the Baptist when John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He must increase, I must decrease. So I hope you see why Paul was getting so angry about these Judaizers who were saying, For salvation, trust Christ plus, as if Christ's death wasn't enough. So just finally... And you've been listening well. I won't keep you more than about five more minutes. Paul's challenge. You know, by his own testimony, he challenges us. He writes, I leave those things behind. He says that I may gain Christ to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith on the basis of faith. Let me unpack that a little. Do you remember Jesus Christ speaks in John 15 about being the main stem and everyone that follows him is a branch and we are grafted into him and we receive, just like the, the, the branch receives the sap from the main stem and it stays alive because it's grafted into the main stem. So followers of Christ, as we're grafted in, that's what happens when you put your trust in Christ. You're grafted into Christ and you receive from him his life. And you receive from him the, all of the character of the Spirit of God and of Christ himself, the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and the self-control and the perseverance. It all comes from him into us. And that's what Paul said. He said, I'd rather be found in Christ than know all the regulations that I may gain Christ and be found in him. But before I close... Let me explain one of the most beautiful mysteries of the gospel. One of the most beautiful, this is the springtime of the gospel, beautiful color in the gospel. Imagine, let me see, imagine this hymn book is full of every sin you have ever committed, full of every impure thought, Pure of, filled with every jealous thought, with every wrong attitude, with every wrong action, with every harsh word that you've ever said. Imagine that has your total record of every sin that you have ever committed. 
in your mind or in your actions. All of that, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, went on him. And we've looked at that this morning. Paid in full. Acquitted. But there's something more, says Paul here. He says there's something more. There's a great exchange takes place. We receive his, our, he receives our sin, all of it on his shoulders. And in exchange, we receive his righteousness, his purity, his holiness. So when you give your life to Jesus Christ, your sin's cleared, it's cleansed, it's forgiven. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your failings, your mistakes. He sees the righteousness and the purity of his own son. But as Paul says here, it comes through your faith in Jesus Christ. What he's saying here is, we can't just accept it as a doctrine. It's dead in the water until you accept it by faith yourself, until you put your faith in Christ yourself. Let me explain it like this. If, you, if I give you a check for 100 pounds, it's, it's a piece of paper. It, it, it's absolutely no use to you at all. It's just a piece of paper until you go to the bank you go to the bank, you hand that check over, and the cashier will give you 100 pounds in your hands. And what Paul is saying here, in response to what Christ has done, there needs to be a response of faith, putting trust in him, asking for his forgiveness, a personal response to what he's done. And when that happens... The gospel is not just words to you anymore. The reality of Christ's love is put in your hand and in your heart. The reality of Christ's forgiveness is put in your hand and in your heart. His friendship forever, his commitment to you forever is put in your hand and put in your heart. And every promise that God has given, and my father-in-law was telling me yesterday, there's 3,000 promises in Scripture. Every promise, as Paul says, for all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, in him, amen. In him, through him, amen to the glory of God through us. All those promises of being a child of God, everything is handed to you. And one of those things is that you're pure in his sight. Pure in his sight. Christ receives our sin. We receive his purity and his righteousness. Not that amazing gospel? That's amazing what God has done. Let's just pray.
Father, we just thank you this morning. Because, Lord, I know how many times I've had to cry for mercy. I know how many times, Lord, I've felt I've totally failed you thousands of times. And sometimes I wonder, Father, can you ever forgive all those things? But, Lord, I thank you that, that Christ was the third party. And that Christ went into that courtroom on the cross and he paid it in full. And that you, Father, are obliged, being a man of justice, you put your punishment on him and you're obliged now to forgive me. But Lord, not just obliged, we want to forgive me. But your justice can be reconciled with your mercy and we can know life in him and life eternal. Lord, I pray that this morning that this might ring home to people here. Father, give them reassurance that if they're trusted in you as Savior and Lord, then they're forgiven. It's been paid in full. They've been acquitted. Lord, if there are those who are trusting in themselves to get into your presence, that, Father, that they might abandon that like Paul abandoned that and realize that there's no action that we can do, nothing that we can do to open heaven's gates for us, but only Christ, the third party, can do that. And I pray that they would respond in faith to that. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we're going to stand and worship God. It's, uh, when I survey the wondrous cross, and I love this hymn, I love this hymn, when love and sorrow meet, or, isn't that amazing? Like the sorrow, can you imagine the sorrow on Christ's face when he's going through that agony on the cross? And yet what love for us that held him there. Let's stand and worship God.
thank you, God, for Jesus. And thank you, Jesus, that you came. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who comes to us and doesn't leave us alone as orphans, but is there for us 24-7. And when we fall, you pick us up, dust us down, and help us carry on. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.